Reading from the Gospel according to Luke, the 18th chapter, beginning with the 9th verse. Jesus also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and regarded others with contempt. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, was praying thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, thieves, rogues, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, I give a tenth of all my income. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even look up to heaven, but was beating his breast and saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his home justified rather than the other. For all who exalt themselves will be humbled. But all who humble themselves will be exalted. The Word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. So sometime in the 90's, I believe it was 1993, but don't quote me on that, one of the OG rappers, original gangster rappers, Ice Cube, y'all know who I'm talking about? He's been in some of them funny movies like Are We There Yet? and stuff like that. I can only quote one line from that song in church. And it was this, check yourself before you wreck yourself. You ever heard anybody say that? That comes from that Ice Cube song that none of us should be listening to. But we could hear that first line and catch a hold of something that's important. Because you see, it used to be that Methodists were a people who gathered together in class meetings and there was a class leader. And we got together in small groups and we asked each other the question, how is it with your soul? Whew! That's a loaded question, isn't it? Most of us would be afraid to answer that all the time. We'd say, I'm fine. You know, you notice some people say, ask you, how you doing? Oh, I'm good. How are you? Sometimes we say I'm good when the truth is we're not good. We just don't want the other person to know that we're not good. How much different would it be if we all answered that question honestly? If when someone that we know shares faith in Christ said, How are you? And we said, I'm struggling. Can I talk with you? What if, how would it be if we knew that if we did that, that person would hold that in confidence and be a prayer partner with us and not run home and get on the phone and tell everybody else what that other person had going on in her life? It's always odd to me when, when people talk to me about wanting to talk about something and I offer to meet them at the church. Very often they don't want to do that because they don't want someone else to see their car at the church and wonder, I wonder what's wrong with him. Oh, but what if we could get back in that habit of recognizing that none of us have it all together? That all of us are people in need of mercy. That all of us are in people in need of God's grace. You see, right before this, Jesus told a parable about an unjust judge. And you might remember that when the woman came knocking at his door and she wouldn't go away until he did what she wanted. And Jesus told that parable saying to them, 
Pray always. You should pray always. And he told them a parable about why they should pray always. To keep coming and keep coming and keep coming. And then he said this to them. He said, when the Son of Man comes, will He find faith on the earth? How do we come to a place where it is well with our soul? We learn how to replace self-righteousness with faith. We learn to stop depending on ourselves to get everything right and depend on God to make us right. Every once in a while I hear somebody say to someone that they need to get themselves cleaned up. They need to get themselves right with God. And I wonder how in the world are they supposed to do that? Apparently God thought it was impossible for us so He sent a Savior, right church? Why would we tell people, look, you need to get right, and then when you get right, you can come to our church? So much wrong with that statement. First, it's not our church, it's Christ's church. And secondly, this is not a place for the perfect, it's a place for people who are on the way to perfection. Amen? It's a place for people who long to be healed, who long to have their lives changed, who long to know a different way. And this parable that Jesus tells today would have been offensive to His original hearers, but we don't hear it that way because we've come to expect that the Pharisees are a foil for the hero in the story. But the Pharisees weren't really all that. The Pharisees were people that today we would look up to just like people in their community looked up to them. They were the people who had it all together, at least said they did. They were the people who looked like they were the authorities on everything from you know, how many verses there are in Genesis to whatever that magical verse is that's right in the middle of the Bible. They were the people who told other people where they were wrong and how, they, how bad they behaved and how they were going to hell. They would be the people that we would look up to and say, oh, this is a religious man. But that's become lost to us. It's rather like a little girl who learned the same lesson one day when she was wrestling with her brother. And her brother was getting the best of her, so she decided to do the only thing she could think of. And she grabbed the hair at the nape of his neck. Y'all know that hair that hurts really bad when somebody grabs it? And she snatched out a half-inch bald spot. And the little boy started crying and he ran to his mom and said, Mommy, 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 Susan, pull my hair out. It hurts. And Mommy picked her little boy up and comforted him and said, It's okay, she doesn't know that it hurts. She didn't mean to hurt you. She just didn't know. And she sent the boy back to the playroom. And 30 seconds later, she heard a terrible shriek. And she ran to the playroom to see what in the world had happened. And there lay Susan on the floor, crying and writhing in pain. She had wet herself from it hurting so bad. And the little boy looked at his mama and said, She knows now. (laughs) This parable for the Pharisees, when they heard it, was like Jesus ripping that hair out of the nape of their neck because He was saying to them that they weren't trusting God, they were trusting themselves and that it would merit them nothing in the kingdom of God. How often have I heard it at a funeral? Oh, He was a good man. Being a good man don't matter. I always want to say, compared to who? I've been to at least two funerals in my life where I wanted to get up and check the box and make sure we were at the right person's funeral. Good by whose standard? 
Do you notice what he's saying? He's dividing himself against his neighbor. Here's a person standing next to him who I bet is invisible pain from the prayer that he's praying. And all this guy cares about is himself. He looks at his neighbor with contempt. Oh, but he's a good person. He keeps the law. He fasts twice a week, not just on the Day of Atonement. He does it twice a week. He's a superstar. He's a religious five-star, man. He's the guy everybody wants in their church. Teaches Sunday school five hours a day, not just on Sunday. And this parable is supposed to make him feel like he just had the hair ripped out of the base of his neck. Because who is it that goes home justified with God? It's the one who knows how it is with his soul. It's the one who knows that he needs God's mercy. It's the one who truly understands who he truly is. He's not hiding behind a mask. He's not hiding behind his good works. He's not hiding behind his good deeds. He's not hiding behind all the stuff he does at church. He's not hiding behind how much he gave the beggar on the corner. He's not hiding behind his political ideals or his social ideals or his ideas about this or that. He's bare open and before the Lord and the Lord knows his heart and the man knows his heart and he says, help me God, I'm a sinner. And Jesus says, he's the one that went home right with God. Whew, man. But the Pharisee is a good person. I told you this story before but it bears repeating it has a little to do with something Jerry, Jerry uh, Phillips taught you in this sermon three years ago on this same text when he said, until we realize that we are inadequate, we will not want God in our lives. The tax collector has realized that he's inadequate. You see, he is the worst person in town. He's been authorized by the Romans to go out and collect money from his neighbors and his friends and even from his enemies. Not only to collect what the actual tax rate is, but everything he collects more than that, he gets to keep. So when we celebrate Zacchaeus, what we're celebrating is a pretty horrible person. But a pretty horrible person who meets the Lord. Tax collector. He's the worst of the worst. He's like the man in a town who did everything he could possibly ever do wrong, and everybody knew it. He was a thief, a bandit, a scoundrel. He cheated his workers. He cheated people who were his customers. He cheated on everything he could cheat on. And then one day he died. And everybody was relieved. Including the local clergy person until that man's brothers came to that preacher and said, hey, we want you to do our brother's funeral. And he said, why? He's never stepped foot in the church. They said, we want you to do our brother's funeral and we want you to say that he was a saint. And we're going to give you $10,000 for your building fund if you do it because we know you need a new building. And the pastor had to wrestle with that a while and finally he agreed to do it. And when he stood up to do the eulogy, he said, y'all know who this man was. He was the worst person any of us have ever known. He treated everybody horribly was never kind to anyone, never did anything that didn't benefit himself, and yet he thought he was a good person. He's the biggest liar any of us have ever known. But to compare him to his brothers, he was a saint. <laughs> Comparison 
Comparison is where we get in trouble. When we compare ourselves to others and think, oh, I must be right with God because I have more stuff than my neighbor has. That's a popular theology you can find on Joel Osteen and some other of those TV preachers. They're just throwing that out every day. Marilyn Hickey says you can speak into your wallet and money will appear if you're right with God. It hadn't worked for me. Day in and day out, people assume that it's the people with more stuff and the people with higher social standing and the people who are always seen to be right who are the ones blessed by God. But over and over and over in the biblical story, it's the leper and the sinner who God finds and who God redeems and turns and turns into something else. What did Jesus say? He said, I came to seek and to save the lost. How is it with your soul? Are you willing to admit that you're lost without Jesus Christ? Or will you stand over there and beat your breast and say, I'm glad I'm not like John. Lord, you know what John is. I'm glad. I'm, I thank you, God, that you made me better than him. Oh, comparison will steal us of the opportunity to wonder, how is it with my soul? My opinion about the condition of Charlie's soul means nothing for me. But if I can come to understand the condition of my own soul, I can too can hit my knees in prayer and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I too can go home justified. But dear ones, if I cling to the thought that I'm a good person because I'm better than someone else, that I'm just like this Pharisee. And I run the risk of saying, I thank you God that I'm not like this Pharisee and there I am right back to where I shouldn't be. Comparing myself with someone else and convincing myself that I'm righteous and right before God. When in truth, I'm denying the condition of my soul. This parable would have angered Jesus' audience because the Pharisee they thought surely was righteous. And the tax collector was the greatest sinner of all. But who is it that Jesus said went home justified? The one who knew how it was with his soul and asked for mercy. How is it with your soul, church? Are you willing to bend your knee to Christ and ask for mercy? Or will you stand in defiance and say, I'm a good person, I don't care what that preacher says. Because we all know the skeletons in our closet if you'll pardon the Halloween pun. We all know those things that we hide that we don't want other people to know. We all stand in the need of mercy today. The question is, as the Son of Man comes to us today, will He find faith? Or will He find a bunch of self-righteous people who don't believe they need Him? Because faith, dear ones, is trusting in the mercy of Jesus Christ.
to save us and change our answer to the question, how is it with your soul? How is it, church? How is your soul? Do you stand in need of prayer and healing? Do you stand in need of God's mercy? Then know this, it's here for you today. Ask Him for mercy. Check yourself before you wreck yourself. Be honest with yourself about who and what you are. Because, dear ones, that is where grace is found. When we come to believe that we cannot save ourselves. I speak these words to you. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, who has the power today to set you free. To change your answer to the question that's on the wall. We're going to stand and sing a final hymn. Just as I am without plea, though I do not know the number. If one of you looked it up, if you'd yell it out for me, I'd appreciate it. 357. We stand and sing. And dear ones, if you need prayer, do not be ashamed. Come. Come and kneel here and say, God, have mercy on me, a sinner, and God will have mercy on you. Go home justified. His grace is here for you. Let us stand and sing.